All right, so we are live right now, or recording anyway. Yeah. So, hey, welcome to the uh, Advocacy Podcast. Season two. Episode one. Yeah. I'm Tristan. I'm nice Ryan. to see you guys. And we've got a special guest in uh, in today's episode. Um, somebody that I'm super stoked to have on board with us is uh, Mr. Kenneth Rosa. Yeah. Um, and if you follow the Father's Rights Movement on Facebook page, you are very familiar with that last name. Um, because he pretty much signs off on every comment that you put on that page uh, with Rosa. Um, Ken, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. That's uh, that's that's awesome to be season two, episode one. So that's that's cool in itself. Oh man, yeah, we're bringing it for you. We uh, we we really plan this out. I think we're gonna have a good time. Um, it, it's kind of fun. Ryan and I spent the last year defining what the Dad Advocacy Podcast was about. Um, and showing that we're not a part of the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Ryan would be Alfalfa. I'd be what? Spunky? Spanky. 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 There we go. Um, so the environment we're trying to create is about being advocates, um, being humble, and wanting what's best for our children. And when we saw your platform and checked everything out, it was, yeah, it's exactly that. It's not about the individual person. It's about what's best for the children and the 50-50, which comes from that. Because fathers need to be present. Absolutely. As so, Ken, you're... You're one of the founders of the Father's Rights Movement, right? I am not. I am not. So uh, the Father's Rights Movement got started like 2011, 2012. Uh, his name's Tom Fiddler. He's from Alaska. You know, he got ran over by the family courts up there. He started a, a Facebook group called the Father's Rights Movement, and uh, it blew up on him. You know, it, it got so big that he, he couldn't handle it. So then he he brought in all these people and... Uh, you know, there was there was a period there. We had like this this toxic image, negativity. People would say that just because they belong to our Facebook page, they would go into a, a state legislator and then threaten you know the removal of the legislator if they didn't put forth the equal shared parenting bill and then throw our name out. And so we were banned in a couple of state houses, and uh, <laughs> so they. They signed, uh, you know, they signed me on to help clean up the image. And uh, then we got a, a new executive director and we're restructuring our board. And so it, it we're, we're as big as we've ever been. And it's just going to keep getting bigger. Man, that's awesome. Okay, so we've got that piece. And then there's Equal and Not Less Project. Is that right also? E&L, Equal Not Less Project. So, uh, you know, my doing these uh, these broadcasts and, and uh just having the reach that we do, we have legislators that reach out to us. We, you know, everybody reaches out to us just like you guys did. So uh, I met Amanda with the Equal Not Less Project, uh, I want to say about a year or so ago. And they're doing, they have a niche that no one else in the shared parenting community is doing. And what it is, is, is the fathers, uh, we don't know how to navigate courtrooms. We don't know how to file our own paperwork. We don't know how to file paternity petitions. And so we get ran over in these family courts because we don't know what we're doing. Some of us can't afford attorneys. Um, so basically, if you're too poor to afford your kids, then you, you get as much justice as you can afford with your own children. Yeah. No, we, uh, we're familiar with that. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, not, we're not immune to that issue I, in North Idaho. <laughs> that's pretty common, I think, everywhere, right? Yeah. So after, you know, I've known her for a while and we've done some work together and, and we've been behind the scenes together and everything. Uh, I guess they all got together. and For some reason, they put me on their board of directors and I was like, whoa, that's pretty prestigious. So that's my first board of directors. Um, I'm proud to be there. Uh, but, 
you know, the father's rights movement is the key that, that unlocks all these doors because it's such a large platform, such a large community that, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, I'm super stoked about everything we do because what I went through seven years ago up until last year, no parent, no child should ever have to go through. Yeah. If you don't mind, I mean, kind of kicking that off, you want to tell us a little bit about your story and how you kind of ended up in this role, like as you know, kind of the mouthpiece, I guess, uh, for the father's rights movement or part of the mouthpiece, I should say. I don't think anybody's mouth is larger than mine. So. <laughs> I don't know. You're the media manager. Okay. <laughs> so. I don't, I don't think anybody's mouthpiece is larger than mine. So they're like, Hey man, since you don't ever shut up here, we're going to give you this media manager thing and, and you run with it from there. But, uh, yeah. So my personal story is, is that I had, uh, two older kids. Um, one is in, in, One's 25, one's right around 20, getting ready to turn 21. And, uh, you know, myself and their mom, we got divorced uh, way back in the 2000s. And we still have a good co-parenting relationship to this day. You know, we still talk. We're still Facebook friends. We can still go kick it and get a beer every now and again. And so my, my oldest son is a Missouri State Trooper, awesome. one of the most prestigious law enforcement agencies in the, uh, in the, in the United States. And you know, for his entire high school career, he lived with me and you got to go through all these psychological things. So that proves that I'm not raising monsters, but (laughs) then I got into a a relationship with my second wife. We were together for uh, 13 years and uh, she found, I like, it's a joke and some people get aggravated about it, but I always like to say that she found somebody uglier than me and uh, decided that that was the path she wanted to take. So she was not a co-parent um, out of the seven years. There was a good span of that more oh, pr- probably over more than five of those years. I haven't seen my children. I still haven't seen my 17 year old son in uh, about three years now. Oh my God. Um, oh, and I have a court order for every other weekend, but you know, if you're female, then you don't have to abide by those court orders only as the male contempt. You, what's you that? Yeah, for a female. <laughs> and you better not skip that child support payment. So, to prove a point that this is a sexist, uh, money-driven industry, I stopped paying child support when she stopped letting me see my son. And they, I made the police reports, you know, because we're destroyed from not having the proper paperwork and we don't know what to file. I, I self-educated myself on filing the uh, interference with parental custodies, filing the modifications, filing the contempt of courts and all of that stuff. And, you know, they said, well, she's the custodial mom. Sucks to suck, dude, but it is what it is. So uh, they did felony prosecute me at the same time for failure to pay child support because I refuse. Obviously, I'm not going to take a felony, but I wanted to prove the point that Mm -hmm. this is all about money, not about the kids' best interest. So even though I still haven't seen my son in in three years, I paid that off all in one lump sum. And uh, I'm not going to take a felony just to prove a point. But, uh, yeah. So, and then past that, I had two with her, um, two kids with her. And then past that, I have two younger little girls, seven and five, well-rounded, great human beings. They're all great human beings, but the kids in the middle, the two kids in the middle, you can see all of these societal things that they say is attributed to coming from a fatherless home or a high conflict divorce and that type of things with the behavioral issues and and the bad grades. And that's not to say that my two kids aren't uh, absolutely phenomenal human beings. They're just placed in a situation that they can't deal with. They don't have the mental capacity to 
to overcome those things. And it set them back in life is, is what it did. So that's kind of my story. So where did, uh, where did the father's rights movement kind of enter the picture? Like when did you, when did you jump into the group? Perfect. So I, uh, I started, uh, you know, you come out of court and you're like, wait a minute, what in the world is going on? Like, none of this makes sense. This is yeah. the United States of America, red, white, and blue justice for all. And then you walk into a family court and they're like, uh, I'm sorry, you were born a man. We're going to discriminate against you 83% of the time. So, uh, just in searching, I found the father's rights movement and, uh, they use their crisis line where the that's what the father's rights movement is known for is we have the crisis line. Sometimes there's a male stigma that we don't want to call the suicide prevention line. But if we call it a crisis line, we're the second largest use, uh, you know, crisis line in that that aspect, because dudes don't have a problem calling something that says the father's rights movement crisis line. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. We, we we save lives. That's our number one goal. And then once we get past that, then we can work on legislation and, and other types of aspects. So um, I found them in 16 or so when I first started going through this. And then uh, let's see, we're in 21. So I guess I took over the media aspect of uh, the father's rights movement right at the end of 19 going into 20. And it's been a great run. No, it's, that's a, a pretty crazy story. I mean, like, how many dads that listen to this podcast and myself included, I know Tristan's probably ran into it a little bit. I mean, we've had our, our head butts with the, with the family court system. And I don't know if you're familiar with like Tristan and I story, but I mean, we're, we're pretty rare that um, we're dads that, that have majority custody of our children. Um, but there, we sh- we're not immune to seeing it either. Like, I mean, we could have full, probably have a, a great argument for it. And <laughs> yeah. um, that's not the case. I mean, I got told in my case, I'm just a dad. And that, that was like the giant slap in the face that a judge telling, you know, somebody that he's willing to give a dad 85% custody, but you're not going to get full because you're a dad. Um, mm. I mean, that, so, you know, we advocate that, yeah, we're on the rarity side that we get to see our kids a little bit more than others, but you know, it's, it doesn't mean that we're out of the fight. We don't have skin in the game and we can't fight for those that are trying to get their kids. And we've had some awesome guests come on the show that have, you know, barely see their kids. And, um, you know, that's where I, we kind of fell into this as I was one of my good friends was going through a really hard divorce and he, he stumbled across your page and he's like, Ryan, dude, you got to check this out, man. Like this, this page is like a life changer. And, uh, he was pulling stuff out that he was using in his case and all this stuff. And he ended up getting 50, 50 coming out of the back end of it. And it was, oh, that's amazing. it was amazing. Yeah. That's totally yeah. Amazing. So I've been, I've been pretty transparent on there. I sued the state of Missouri's court actors for what they did in my case. Um, you know, and I've posted a lot of that stuff uh, for other guys to <laughs> Sorry. that lawsuits in like 13 or 14 states that I know of. You know, they took it and they tweaked it and, and they filed their own things. Uh, unfortunately, we had the hearing and basically what the state of Missouri's position is, is it doesn't matter how many crimes my GALs and court actors committed. It only matters that they work for the state and therefore they're quasi judicial immune. Um, so we'll see what the federal courts have to say about that. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty transparent in that. I put all of my filings up. I've helped walk people through that. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, the father's rights movement, that's such a dirty term. But in reality, like 40 percent of our followers are moms that are married to their new significant other. They see how he's getting ran over by the court system. They're the children that grew up missing their fathers. 
because, you know, some some judge told him, oh, you can only see your dad every other weekend. And then the mom didn't abide by that. And all of them come on there and they say, you know, what these family courts did to me and my dad was not cool. It was not in my best interest. It ruined my life. Now I'm in, you know, trauma counseling for the rest of my life. So we don't want that to continue through the generations. But uh, yeah, I've been I've been around with the uh, the family courts and and everything. So uh, it seems like you've made your rounds quite a bit. It it really it it is generational. Um, I think that's that's part of the issue. It feels like that we've got these elderly judges in the court that never really had influence in their children's lives because they, they figured, Oh, the role was I'm a man. I'm providing for my, my family. All I do is work. Here's the money. And she handles everything else. Like, uh-huh. and it, it seems like they're still feeling that way when we know that um, even, even in woke cultural culture, which we, we loathe, <laughs> but at least now there's a, there's a marker for men to come out and go, look, we're tired of the old rules. We're tired of, of the rules and, and how you're slapping crap on us. We want to be parents. We want to be involved, and we want to make sure there's a difference in our parent, in our children's lives. Unfortunately, we have canceled men in general. You know, if, if you do anything, if you yes. do anything that's manly, you know, it's toxic masculinity. No, it's not. If you do anything, uh, you know that that men should be proud of. It's we're part of the patriarchal oppressive society. If you want to have equal shared parenting in your children's lives and that's not, we're not asking for special rights. We're asking for equal rights, but if you want to have equal shared parenting, it is, well, you could, you can have some custody if you can prove you're not abusive. That's not how our legal systems are working. And so, you know, we're having to overcome all these societal stigmas and, and everything against men in general but fathers as well. And the unfortunate thing is, is that you can attribute over 70 negative behavioral statistics to children, teen pregnancies, uh, Mm -hmm. illicit drug use, suicide. 63% of all children's suicides come from a fatherless home. There's something to be said about removing dads. We have destroyed the, the integrity of the family because they just released a study that said that only 18% of people are in a nuclear family type relationship. Now that's not even one out of five. That's less than one out of five. And wasn't there that I thought there was a, uh, a a statistic that said 80% of rapists came from a fatherless home. Also 81 or 83% of all rapists come from a fatherless home. They have issues with the fact that their father was removed their mother was either abusive to them or, or didn't let them see their dad. But yes, all almost 80 plus percent of rapists come from a fatherless home. Yeah. Insanity. That's great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it really, that's, it that's really insanity. Um, good freaking Lord. And we've, we've gone over some of the statistics on the show too. Like, I mean, you can go all the way down to like the wage gap um, is attributed to fathers being present in the home that if you have a dad present at home, you're like, I think it's like 37% more likely to earn above the median average in the United States as, as far as wage. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that gets like linked to just having that stability within the household. And, you know, you talked about the the toxic masculinity, you know, to where we kind of turn it. It's like, no, we've been toxically emasculated. Uh-huh. We've, we've been neutered by society to like, no, it has to look a certain way. And if you're too strong of a dad, like, no, nah, you need to back that off a little bit. Cause you know, we need to have that more um, softer touch and, and a little bit less yeah. discipline or whatever it is or structure. And 
gosh, it's just, it's screwing our kids over. It is just, it's t- running rampant through the schools. I mean, I could see, I used to be a teacher and, uh, you know, we see it. It's just, it's awful. It's terrible. I mean, the flip side is that feminism has become more toxic also. Yeah. Right. So it's almost like they, they literally just flipped it. And the women went like, oh, you know what? Now that you're soft and sensitive, now we're going to be the alphas and try and dominate you with our, with our testosterone, to- toxic femininity. But it just destroys the entire, the entire family dynamic. Yeah. Well, you know, a hundred years ago, we needed men. Men stepped up. It wasn't women. Men stepped up and we said, what you're doing to them women, they need rights too. They got to have rights too. And then in the 60s, we stepped up and we said, you know, the way you treat the people of color, black people, you can't do that. No community can ever fix this without another community getting involved. So now you're starting to see all of the women coming forward and saying, what you're doing to fathers is not in anybody's best interest. You're only doing this for profit for the state, for the the family court, and it can't can't continue. But, you know, the type of things that this breeds is is a lot of people don't understand. You know, they're like, oh, well, that doesn't affect me. I'm never going to get a divorce or anything. Well, let me tell you how it affects you. (laughs) Man, the Vegas shooter killed over 500 and something people shot over a, you know, what was it? A thousand people. I mean, I mean, there was, there was astronomical carnage and death in that. Guess what? He's from a fatherless home. It's not normal behavior to think that you should shoot up a concert full of human beings and that'd be okay. That doesn't come, you know, so, so there's something to be said that when this family bond is broken, things go totally haywire in these people's minds that you can grow up and think, you know what, tonight's a good night just to kill almost a thousand people. And it's something that, you know, an epidemic that we face here is, you know, having that thought process of like, today's a good night to just go and end my own life. I mean, North Idaho has one of the highest percentages, I think per capita in the United States of male suicide between the ages of 14 and 37. I mean, it's, it's crazy how bad it is here. And I know it's bad across the country, but um, part of that's because there is a, a large veteran community here also. Yeah. I mean, there's the veteran suicide. Yeah. Then there's also um, our teen suicide rate is crazy high. And, Same. you know, going back and looking at some of the statistics that have come through the schools, there, there lies the problem again is that it's a split household. It's some sort of disruption has taken place within the home. And, um, you know, that we, you know, if we, we, we as dads got to do something like, I mean, We've got to fight back because we're losing our kids to this now too. Not only are we losing our kids in the physical aspect of like, I don't get act, we don't get access to them, but we're losing our kids' lives over this stuff too. Yeah, the the teen death suicide rate is too high. Um, you know, almost all school shooters come from some type of a fatherless home. Um, there, there's so much carnage that comes from these type of things. A lot of people don't understand or or know that, you know. They're like, oh, well, he's from the Father's Rights Movement. He's just bashing on all the moms. No, <laughs> Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, was from a, a one-parent household. Yep. He was from a father. He, you know, I don't know if his mother was inactive because she didn't want to be. I don't know if the father forced her out. You know, there's not a lot of research on that. But I've studied that case all the way back down. And from the age of 10, his mom is missing somehow. It's not normal behavior to grow up and kill 168 people with a truck bomb. And think that that's some type of of any way logical thinking. So once again, we can trace these issues back to 
all of these people have this this early childhood trauma and then their 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 mental uh, abilities to function in rational society to not think it's okay to kill 168 people is affected it delays our coping mechanisms i mean the, it, it, this goes to the biological level but i don't know if we want to <laughs> no, <laughs> no it's okay we could we could stay on this topic for a long time too let's keep going it doesn't um, matter it's, yeah we're fine it, um and you mentioned like the, the following is, is a majority, like you guys have a huge following of women and we've noticed like on our show too, majority of our listenership is women. I would assume we're about 55%, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's actually probably a little bit higher. I don't know if it's cause we're too attractive single dudes. I don't know. Um, <laughs> You're running a little bit higher than us. We have stats and we can show that about 40% of our audience is women. That's awesome. And, and see, like you would think like, you would have the reputation, like you've said, like just this woman bashing page, but it's not, if you really get to the roots of what you're fighting for the 50, 50 parenthood, like who shouldn't be in favor of that? Like if it's going to benefit the kids, like who's not going to fight for that or who's not going to argue for that issue. Obviously there are the bad actors on the fringe that we, yeah. you, you've got to acknowledge that they do exist. Um, but for the general part of it, I mean, like well, I've seen affects, great. Yeah, go ahead. It affects mom too, because Okay you get in a relationship with dad and he got dumped, you know, women file for divorce 81, 83% of the time. No women file for divorce 83% of the time they're granted custody at a statistical factual rate from 80 plus percent all the way up to almost 90% since 1990. And there's some laws that went into that or or whatever, but we've never dropped below the 80 percentile that moms get full custody of children in family courts here in the United States of America. So you have these women that they get with a great guy and she's over there saying, oh, he's an abuser. He did all this. And then she's saying, no, the hell he doesn't. I I live with him 24 seven. You're lying. And the only reason why you're doing that is because you wanted the control of the custody of the kids and the house and the assets. And then, you know, then her life is harder because they've got to support not only their household and their kids, but they've got to support the other lady's household and kids through child support and all this stuff. And so, you know, I think that's why we have such a high turnout of these women coming forward because they're like, wait a minute, I'm with this dude. You said was a, was a piece of trash. He's a great dude. He's a great father. And what you're doing to him is not okay. Now our kids are suffering. So these are kids that aren't even involved in it. And then they get railroaded because, you know, the family courts are more interested in profit than the best interest of anybody's kids. Then I was watching your guys' podcast earlier today. You had a Facebook live on and you had an attorney from North Carolina on the podcast with an attorney from California and they were talking back and forth. And uh, the gal from North Carolina was mentioning, she's like the majority of the cases that we see of, of people advocating now for father's rights issues are kids that went through divorce that got a hold of their parents' case studies and caseloads. And they went through the documentation and said, this isn't right. Like my dad, I grew up in a household. And I was screwed out of this because you just like, why? Like, where's the justification for all of this? And you know, like, do you think a lot of this also is just due to like men being apprehensive about speaking their feelings? I mean, women are a little bit better at speaking out about things than men are, but we're obviously finding our voice nowadays. Um, so it comes in, it comes in a few parts. Okay. So my, my daughter from the, the high conflict uh, custody case where mom just thought I was a piece of trash and shouldn't have anything to do with my kids. You know, she's 19 now. She called me uh, a few months ago. She said, I just can't handle this anymore. Come get me. So I went and picked her up and 
at 19, they're old enough to start seeing the paperwork and the things that, that happened in, in court. And, and you hand her the paperwork or the questions that she asked and you hand her just the paperwork so that she can make her own conclusions and draw her own her own analysis and basis of. And she goes, oh, my God, you know, that we were always told that you didn't pay child support, not this exuberant amount every month. Mom makes almost $100,000 more a year. Why are you paying her child support? Well, that's a great question. Why am I paying her child support? Because it made life harder on everybody. The kid's never seen any of that money. And that's fine. But then there are other things that you hand her and in and, and, and the restraining order attempts that my ex-wife had tried. You know, I think I've had uh, she got one successfully before I learned how to file my own paperwork and do my own things. And then I think I beat either four or five other ones. And then on the last one, after after four or five attempts on the last one, the judge told her, don't let me see your face in this court again, because now I'm starting to get aggravated. <laughs> But what that did was, is every time she went down to file those 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 restraining orders, it kept me away from my children for two, three, four, five, yeah. six more months. And then it cost me ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars for a lawyer to go in there and argue why we shouldn't have a, a piece of paper in place. So, yes, those programs were set up to protect people in the beginning, but now they're being abused just to keep mm-hmm. people away from their children. How do I how do I have a relationship with my children when I can have my door kicked down and be arrested and be killed or, or go to prison or jail for breaking a piece of paper that says I can't contact my own children. Yeah. I, and I, I was going to mention, like, you're probably familiar with the silver bullet defense then, because that's kind of what you're talking about. Um, I've got a, a guy in my men's group that, you know, I'm meeting with regularly and um, he's newly divorced, but his soon to be ex is using this against him. She's made some pretty outlandish claims that are very easily refutable. Um, but due to the laws in the state of Idaho, they have to investigate um, and then they have to let her present the evidence, but they give, they don't put a timeline on it. So he hasn't seen his kids now in already a month and he's probably got a timeline. He's not going to see them until probably around February, um, which is awful for no reason at all. There's no, no provable evidence there to, to keep him from his kids. Um, so why is it so important that that burden of proof though be put on the state? Yeah. So he's going to have two options, right? He's going to either have to get an attorney. He's going to have to go to court and he's going to either potentially lose his life liberty. And what I mean by that is, you know, in those restraining orders, they put you can't own a firearm. You can't have a firearm around. They put that you can't see your own children. They put that you can't go within 500 feet of their school. You can't go within 500 feet of her. You can't be, you know, they tell you if you're in a gas station or a grocery store and she walks in with your own children, if you speak to them, you'll go to prison. You better turn around and run out the back door and leave. So he's faced with the option of he's going to lose his entire life. He's going to be branded as some type of, of outcast of society. And then, you know, it affects other things. Maybe he's involved with church. You know, yep. churches look at that stuff. You can't volunteer around any type of a child anymore because you got a restraining order in place. And it's all over what they call the silver bullet. So those are his two options. He either has to beat that or his whole life is going to be ruined. Now, here's the problem. If he does beat that, absolutely zero, and I do mean zero, will happen to her for making up those false allegations. Why isn't she going to jail? She tried to destroy a man's life. She's literally kidnapping her kids. Yeah. yeah. She should go to jail for that. So the silver bullet is, is they even have a legal term for it is that you want to get divorced. You don't want to be around your significant other. You walk in and your attorney tells you 
this is a dog fight. Whichever one of you kills the other one first, you're going to get custody of the kids and the assets. So the easiest way for you to do that. And we actually have videos from the one of the attorney generals of Texas. So she's like an underling of Ken Paxton on a YouTube video coaching a room full of lawyers to use a restraining order as the tool to gain custody of the divorce. Like they're all preaching this stuff. Mm -hmm. So the family court judiciary has moved away from what it was supposed to be. And they're turning this then to a winner take all kill the other opponent. It's a dog fight. Somebody's going to lose the kids. If you don't want it to be you, you got to throw a bunch of dirt on her. And so it's just a gladiator system out here. Like Rome didn't go away. We just call it family court now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing that rapists, murderers, pedophiles, whatever, they all get innocent until proven guilty. And immediately the husband's guilty. Yep. That's In family court, we, we say you're guilty until you're proven more guilty. And then you can maybe someday prove you're innocent. You know, but here's the thing. If your buddy doesn't have any kind of money and that judge railroads him and he just says, well, and here's how they did me on the first one. They said, here's the here's the the statement that makes all your your constitutional rights go away to err on the side of caution. So that doesn't mean that there's any type of, of, of proof. That doesn't mean that the, the allegations she alleged were true or that there was a danger. It means to err on the side of caution. We're going to go ahead and revoke all your rights to your kids, your life and everything else. And then we'll sort this out later. And that's exactly what they did to me. And. The problem with that was, is I could never get out from underneath of that first restraining order. That's all they wanted to bring up in there was that I was a convicted child abuser now or, or whatever it was, you know, they were trying to paint me as, as this unfit father because they had that restraining order in place that never should have been put in place in the beginning. So what if you're poor and you can't afford to file an appeal? An appeal costs you 10, 15, 20 grand to get an yep. appellate lawyer. Not all lawyers will even do it. So it's a special type of, of lawyer. And if you don't know how to do that type of thing. You're your SOL. Yeah. <sighs> I, mean, I, I know we don't want to take the tone no, of being it, depressing, it, but this is such, it is. Well, I'm, yeah. And it's, it's, we talked about a couple episodes ago, but like this is an issue. Like, and it's leading to other things too. I mean, gosh, we could look at, I know we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the Chad Reed thing kind of has like a derivative of this too. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. I mean, this, this family court system being so incredibly broken and, you know, unequal. I mean, we'll just fly, call what it is. I mean, it's a sham at times. And, and, um, with it being built in that way, you know, how does it, how does it, where does that we start? Like you got to start somewhere, right? It's like eating an elephant. How do you do it? You got to take it one bite at a time. So where are you taking with like the father's rights to an equal, not less, like, where are you starting with this? Like what services are you providing in the initial intake to help some of these dads overcome? Like what looks like a daunting, you know, almost impossible task. So, you know, we have, we have different primary focuses for both organizations, the father's rights movement. We want to keep you alive until the next morning. Um, and then once you, once you, you get your sea legs back underneath of you, then we want you to continue swimming. You know, we don't want you to drown. And unfortunately, you know, men are four times more likely to kill themselves than women. We can attribute a whole lot of things to that. We've got 22 veterans a day that kill themselves. We've got statistics on on fathers. What we're not studying is, is what's the, you know, people don't leave a suicide note to say, I killed myself because I can't see my children in family court. So as best as I can tell, and it's just a guess or a preponderance, we're losing about 39 and a half fathers per day in the United States of America 
because they don't have family access issues. That's a Kenneth Rosas that you can't find that anywhere else. It's just things that I've compiled and tabulated. And, and so there's no it doesn't scientific shock research. That's, yeah, if that's what it is, that wouldn't it, shock me at all. Yeah, not at all. Right. But so that's, that's the father's rights main uh, goal and, and purpose. And then, you know, we work with uh, different aspects on things. The, the equal, not less than project, you know, their aspect is to help fathers educate themselves on how you file this if you're too poor or are getting railroaded in a sham of a court. So you want to fix this? I can fix this tomorrow. Question number one, if the other parent dies, will the other parent have custody? If the other parent dies, will the other parent have custody? For instance, they, I haven't seen should. my children. Yeah, I haven't seen my children in seven years, right? Mm-hmm. But if my ex-wife were to die today, I could go pick up my son because there's no retainers from the Division of Family Services. There's nobody saying that I wouldn't have access to my child. I just well, don't I have access because of the cost. <laughs> yeah. So if the other parent died, would the would the, the non-custodial parent have custody? If the answer is yes, 50-50, bam, already solved all that. Number Easy. two, cameras in the courtroom. We have all these these backwoods meetings going on in the judges' chambers, and what, yep. what we what we get is is you get these clicks of people. So the the guardian ad litem and the therapist and the judge, and you know they all they all like to run in a pack because we all want to be associated with our peers. You were excited to have me on today. I was excited to see you guys because we're all in the same equal shared parenting advocate advocacy center, and so we all want to know each other. We all want to you know, be part of the boys and stuff like that. Well, that's what these lawyers and judges do. And then they start running these crime mob syndicates to where they're just fleecing everybody that comes into their courtroom jurisdictions. And if you don't side with or have the right lawyer or have the right therapist or have the right judge, then you get, you know, pushed out of your kids' lives. And it can't be that way. So we need an equal shared parenting across the board and we can work backwards from there if there's some type of abuse narcotic you know we, we don't yeah. want anybody picking up a That's child that has yeah. 10 dwis yeah so but i am of the opinion that instead of having punitive family courts we should have rehabilitative family courts maybe the dude need maybe the dude or the mom needs help beating that that alcohol addiction they shouldn't be yeah. removed from their child's lives they should be carefully helped to better themselves to where they can still be an active part of the kids lives yeah agreed you know, okay, and, I, and I, you know, you can, and you can take that down the road too. Of like, if that person can't beat that, and it becomes an issue of safety with the kids, I mean, then you have the reason for removal, right? You can take the kid from that parent and have a justification for it when he endangers the kid's life. Um, that sounds a lot like what the what Greece is doing right now. Also, yeah. can you have you talked about Greece yet? And oh, their, so- uh, their co-parenting laws. Yeah, yeah. So Greece, as far as I know, and anyone's welcome to challenge me on this, but I keep up with almost everything that goes on in in the entire world on this stuff. Greece is the first country I know that passed a, from here on out, we're just going to do equal shared parenting. And you have to prove why that parent shouldn't be there. So here in the United States, we call that evidence standard, clear and convincing evidence. You can't just walk in anymore with a silver bullet and say, I don't like dad, he's abusive, and he can't be around the kids. The, the the last state here in the states to do that was Air, uh, Arkansas. Arkansas passed a 50-50 Eagle Shared Parenting with a clear and convincing evidence standard, and it had a bunch of bells and whistles that go with it to protect kids. But Greece did something similar to that, 
And so now the whole country is that way. We'll, we'll start to see other countries uh, follow that as it should be. Just because you're yeah, divorcing exactly. your, your co-parent doesn't mean you're divorcing your kids. Yeah. Because I mean, like what we see, especially in like the state that we live in, it's usually it starts out. All right. We're going to start 70, 30. Okay. So if you really suck, we're going to just keep taking that away and you're going to end up with like 90, 10 or a hundred and you get zero and to where like, they're saying like, no, we're going to start at 50, 50. And I think that's the fair, the fair standard is like, no, we're going to look at this. Like we're going to start middle ground, like 50, 50. Absolutely. And then now we're going to work backwards from like, what's the end goal. Now you have to show me how do we get there? And and you start having like, instead of getting tunnel vision of like, we're just going to win. How do I get from A to Z with like as much as possible? Now right. it's, you get into that argument of like, yeah, no, I wouldn't have it as shared as possible, but we both have to be able to prove that like we're, we're capable of that. Like that's realistic. I think it's more that you're, you're having, yes, we went 50, 50, but if there's an issue now prove the issue Yeah, or have the court prove the issue, have somebody monitor that, you know, I mean, whatever kind of counseling needs to be there. Cause we clearly don't want real abusers, right? No. <laughs> and then true actual abusers abusing, either the children because the mom's gone now or having the mother have to interact with her abuser proven of course. Right. So it, it's kind uh, of it. Greece's Greece's rule is tough now because they, from what I read, they don't have an actual premise to goes, Hey, um, yes, he's an abuser. We've, we've proven that. Like, I guess maybe in the back end they prove it. it I was reading through it. It was pretty tough to figure out exactly what they were trying to do other than 50, 50, which I love. Right. Cause on the top end, it sounds great. And I, I like to play devil's advocate in this one. It's just kind of fun. Well, here's the thing. I'll let you play devil's advocate. Let's say that yeah. uh, you don't want the kids in an abusive situation. Yep. They're 54% more likely to be abused at mom's house than they are at dad's house. Yes, they are. They're 71% more likely to be killed, neglected, or abused at mom's house by her next significant other than anyone they'll ever meet in their entire damn life. 71%. Wow. Yep. Most of these... Lot. And so they, they didn't like the way that these were being reported, right? You used to get these from the government themselves. It's called the child maltreatment reports. They have one every single year. It used to be mom with her significant other and father with, with their significant other. And then, you know, it would be father by themselves, mother by themselves. So then 13, 14, they switched it up. Now it's just parent with a significant other because they didn't like the way these statistics were going. And it's wow. not the dad you need to be worried about. It's mom's next significant other that yep. is most likely to do the harm, the abuse, the neglect. Wasn't, wasn't the neglect from dad and his significant other like substantially like lower than even median? Like it was like way the other direction? 29.1 for neglect, 29.2 for, uh, oh, or no, 29.1 for the neglect. And, 28.9 for most likely to be killed by dad and the other significant other. It's amazing to think that if every person knew these stats, you'd assume there'd be change instantly, instantly. Why, why would you even go? Oh no, let, let's hold on to what we have with these stats. Money. 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 And, and that plays into the, the domestic violence industry because we always say, well, we don't want women around their abusers. You know, they did a study in 2007 that came out of Harvard. You're more likely to be abused. The, the person that, that is more likely to create the physical abuse first is the woman. It was like 70 percent. 
they redid that study so many times that you can't even find the study now unless you have old, uh, you know, screenshots from it because they've taken it down because it goes against the narrative. You know, we had a, a certain senator. Now happens to be the United States president <laughs> that introduced legislation called the Violence Against Women's Act. And I'm not saying that back in the day, you know, the 60s, 70s, the 80s, maybe that wasn't necessary. But what we're seeing is, is that the money industry the federal grants, the federal money, the incentives for that stuff. That's why you can walk into a family court, get hit with a silver bullet. They automatically give it out because they need those stats to prove that abuse is going on. Well, we had to issue 10 restraining orders to keep this money flowing when nine of those restraining orders weren't necessary. And the way we know that is, is that the DFS reports, you know, only 17% of, of called in abuse reports to the division of family services are substantiated less than less than one out of four. Wow. So we have a society that the reports, these things, and then it's unfounded. They don't take the kids from the parents that they need to take them from. They leave them with parents that, you know, like, like the lady in Texas, Yeah. Mm -hmm. they said your boyfriend, here we go again. So the boyfriend beat the eight year old child to death. And they left the dead body in there with the three brothers for over a year. And the reason for that, when they arrested mom was, is because she didn't want to lose the state assistance and the child support. Holy smokes. That's just disgusting. That... No, when I read that story, I literally wept. It was freaking disgusting. Yeah. We've, we've incentivized all of these, these, these bad behaviors and these bad things that, that are being inflicted upon our children. Just so, People can be greedy, whether it be the family courts, you know, I'm of the opinion, 50-50 shared parenting. You you support them at your house. I'll support them at my house. And we're not going to redistribute anybody's wealth back to yeah. the other parent. Uh, completely. Yeah, 100 percent. And we, we had the conversation a while ago I, I, when we were trying to justify how much child support you would pay. And I was, we, it was hard to figure out. Yeah. Because we know where the money doesn't money doesn't go and it's not to the kid. And that, yeah. that's clear. And so it's what 60 plus 65 billion, something like that is the actual, the, the number is somewhere on there. Is that right? So you, you, that's in, you, you're going into the fire, into the forest. It's all <laughs> on fire. Everything's covered in gasoline when you get into that. So when you get into the child support, let's start at the form 14 form 14 is used in 42 of the 50 States. The form 14 is favored that if you have a, Custodial split of 50-50 time, someone still has to pay 14% to the other parent. So the, the form 14 itself is already lopsided that somebody has to make up a 14% in discrepancy, no matter if there's a 50-50 shared parenting or not. You go from there and you get into what's called Title 4D. Title 4D is the federal incentive monetized program that they installed in the 1960s, 70s, 80s. The legislation that gave it teeth was in the 1990s by Bill, Bill Clinton signed off on it. Everybody's like, oh, it's the Democrats. Yeah, well, who was this Congress? Newt Gingrich is a Republican Congress. So let's put the blame where it goes. It's on both parties. And you guys saw a chance to fleece parents because what they were doing was they were running around and they were chasing what's called the deadbeat dad. And then they figured out that if you add all of the child custody cases to it, they put 19 and a half million child custody cases into the Title 4 D folder in 1990 something, 1994 or six. There was two bills there. Anyway, one of those two years, they threw all of the child custody things into that. And so 
that gave the the state incentive to come after you, suspend your driver's license, put you in prison for being able unable to to pay a debt. You know, we have law debtors prison in 1890, but we just now call it child support. Yeah. And that program has gotten away. So the federal incentive program, everybody's like, oh, it's a dollar for dollar thing. No, it, it's really convoluted. So the state turns in time spent to collect the money from the dad, even if he makes his payment every month on time, they still turn in an hourly bill to the federal government for the child support collection efforts. And then the federal, you know, we've never seen a government agency ever bill for more hours than what they used or nothing. Then the the federal government sends them a check to reimburse them 66 cents on the dollar of all of the money that they spent, which is how you get, counties with four or five prosecutors that they don't do anything but prosecute people that, you know, are behind on child support. It's how you get the child support uh, enforcement agency. You know, all those people are funded through this federal program. And so you get all of these people that need to get their girlfriend and their other dude a job. And so, you know, they, they keep these collection agencies going, but that program pays out 50 to $60 billion to the States. That is an old statistic. Good We're up to $90 billion. Oh. Here's the best part, though. Here's the best part, though. A lot of people don't know this. If the state meets enough parameters to collect enough dollars, you have to collect one more dollar than you did the year before. And there's some other things that are in place. Then there's a bonus that gets chopped up in between the states. That does not have to be spent on child support enforcement. That could be spent on anything that they want to spend. And Ken Paxton, the attorney general of Texas, is on record saying that they fund 65 percent of the Texas government off of the child support reimbursement payment. Sixty five percent of the entire Texas government is funded off of child support. Unbelievable. How is it? I mean, (laughs) how is it even legal? Yeah, I mean, like, it's (laughs) not right. We know that. But apparently they're doing it. So um, that. On record, how is he not just put through the ringer right now about that because everybody you know once we throw it out there oh we're the, they're, they're they bragged ken paxton bragged that in 2020 texas collected 4.3 billion dollars in child support and redistributed to moms in the pandemic the worst year they've ever had in the history of the united states we collected 4.3 billion dollars in, in texas we collected 2.2 in ohio billion billion dollars in child support we're talking with a b not an m billion that they paid out. Then they get repaid on all of those things. That's how they're funding these state governments off of it. But when you start talking about, oh, well, we're collecting all this child support, you know, society's sitting over there like clapping. Oh, yeah, well, at least these dads are finally taking care of their kids. They don't realize that it's an extortion scam going on. Yep. Well, I mean, so even even though, so I, I paid child support on my daughter until, um, of course, she turned 18, right? Mm-hmm. But even though I was paying child support, when she would come to my house, I'd spend Five hundred plus dollars on. Oh, you need clothes. I can clearly see you're running out of jeans. Let's go shopping. Yep. Let's get you what you need for school. Let's take care of this. Let's take care of yourself. And be like, my my bills are on top of that. How are I mean? And most fathers, I'm assuming, are doing exactly what I did. We're taking care of what we have to take care of and handling our business. Where is I? I couldn't figure out where the money was going. Well, that's what we're doing. The father is being made to prop up both homes. Mom gets that little child support check and the more money she makes, the less child support money she's going to get. There's that, you know, they actually did a study. Emma Johnson, she's uh, one of the mom's groups. Uh, 
I can't remember her mom's group's name, but she's for shared parenting. And they did a study. You're 31% more likely as a woman to make a six-figure income if you share parenting with your 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 ex-co-partner because you have time to go back to school, get an education. You have time to build these these relationships to be in the corporate world. You have time to every other week, you know, you don't have the kids. So you have time to go out and get a, a, a high paying job. You have time to do things for you. You want to know why moms statistically are 54 54 percent more likely to abuse the children because the state's forcing all of the parental time onto them. You know, they only get a break from the kid four days a month. Burnout. Yeah. That's yeah, I know. <laughs> you you kind of get your mind blown every time it gets checked. You're like, oh my gosh, there's more, you know? So I, I, I don't want to say I'm going to change the subject, but I know that, you know, we, we, you've hinted at it like the bad actors, right? How I know that you are not afraid to shy away from calling out crappy dads. Um, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. might take a little heat for it too sometimes, but uh, you'll see the comment section sometimes, but like, it has to be done, right? We do the same thing. We'll call out the bad actors too. Yeah. So with a group as big as yours and in, in that movement, um, you know, why is it so important to call out these bad dads? Because we don't want to, you don't want to get the stigma of like, Oh no, dude, like we just want to get you to pay less child support. Like that's not the goal. The goal is to get you more parenting time. If you get more parenting time, guess what the side effect is? You pay less child support. Like in theory, in theory, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like, yeah. You know, the the 90s and, and in the, you know, we didn't have as much information. We didn't have a way for us to link up and do this podcast from California all the way out to here to, to St. Louis, Missouri. You know, so so the the information technology is out there now and that's helped us to to link up. Um, you know, you see when these policies all started with this Title Four D thing with the monetized incentive of the removal of the father. You know, we used to hear about in the eighties and nineties, you know, dad would have to be in the house, but then he'd have to sneak out when the welfare caseworker came by, because if he was there, you know, then, then all the benefits would stop. So we incentivized the removal of the father for all these decades. The black community absolutely got destroyed. When these policies started, they were at 23% fatherless homes. They're now at 77% of fatherless kids in the black community. Holy so, smokes, man. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. It's just There's 26 horrible. million kids that haven't seen their father in over a fiscal year, right? I spent well over after my divorce. I spent about somewhere around like $37,000, $42,000 getting divorced. She spent like $92,000 getting divorced. The only thing we were arguing over was parental time. I got the other, I didn't even get every other crappy weekend. I got like 12 hours, you know, one weekend, 12 hours. No, let's see. 36 one weekend, 36 the next. So I got 72 hours a month with my kids unsupervised. So I'm so dangerous to my own kids that they gave me 72 hours a month unsupervised. I had to pay her child support, even though she made $30,000 more a year. Wow. Okay. Fast forward. I spent all these hundreds of thousand dollars, you know, trying to be an active participant in my children's lives. I never asked to be in the statistic that I haven't seen my children in three years. As a matter of fact, I've been in and out of every freaking courtroom there is to be in to see my children, but yet I still haven't seen my son in three years. You're not going to tell me that 26 million dads were just like, yo, I'm done with that. There's actually a statistic out there that says about year three, 
Dad gets tired of all the chaos. He gets tired of being drugged back and forth into court. He gets tired of filing the contempts and the judge won't do anything. He gets tired mm-hmm. of calling the sheriffs of the police department and they won't they won't uh, enforce his parental custody time because he shows up and she's not there. And so dads walk around, away around year three. They just resolve themselves to pay their child support and go on with their lives because that's what they got to do. Otherwise, what else are you going to do? Join the financial. You can't even afford it anyway. Yeah. So join the, yeah. the 39 and a half fathers that kill themselves a day. I mean, you, you know, some at some point you got to have some some peace of mind. So I don't believe any of these dads. You know, I believe it's an outlier fringe of people that don't want to be involved with their kids. And I, and for that, I can also say that one of my best friends growing up, I grew up in Kansas City. Can't tell her nothing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he's a black community father and him and his gal were together for, I want to say, like two years. They had a baby month four. The kid was, you know, on her, on her fourth month in, in existence. Mom walks in and she's like, yo, dog, this ain't for me. I'm out. And wow. she turned around and left and he hasn't, he's seen or heard from her in four years. The child's going to be four this, this year. So sometimes people don't want to be parents. I get that. But for the most part, the 26 million missing their father isn't because they want to be, it's because the society and the court system and the gatekeeping parental alienating moms forced them to be, I never wanted to be in that statistic. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we, uh, when on last episode, I think yeah, you talked about that. We talked about uh, a young cat. He was in his twenties, doing like twenty three, right? I think is what mm-hmm. it was. Twenty three years old. Twenty three years old. His baby is two months old. The mom left at three weeks, and she clearly said, "I don't want to. I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to be this." And and man, I mean, you know, um, I think there needs to be a greater and a deeper conversation about the deadbeat mom. Because they're there or the yep. moms that, that only are only in it for the money. And in my situation, at one point in time, they wanted to relook at my, uh, my child support. So I called them and I said, look, I'm the custodial parent of two boys. Uh-huh. If I have to spend 700 a month on my one girl, we're going to be in the street. So that's okay with you. And they said, look, literally you need to talk to your congressman because all we care about is the firstborn. That's yeah. it. Nothing else matters. Yep. And to me, I'm going, <laughs> how is that even, how, how is it even viable? How does it make any sense at all that we're doing what's right and all they care about is the firstborn? So you're going to put two more out in the street? It, is that how, is that how the U.S. is now? I mean, is, is what we do? We just as kill long them. as they're getting to collect those incentives. That's why I say, you know, the reason why you guys have a 50, 55% female audience and the reason why we have a 40% female audience is because these women are living that life. They're with a new guy that they get with. They start a family. She says it's bull crap and bunk what you're saying about that dude because he's a great dude. He's a great mm-hmm. father. And then she has to live like crap because one person wants to be greedy. Her kids got to go without because one person wants to be greedy. One person wants to create chaos and conflict and these lawyers keep all that dog fighting stuff going in these family courts to where you're constantly having to spend money to even be relevant in your children's lives or stay out of jail or to pay all this child support that you can't afford. And then you're still trying to afford your family. So all of these women's have jumped on board and they're like, yo man, like we're living like crap because of what you're doing to this poor guy. And then like you guys said, the the third part person party to this is, is all the kids that grew up and were like, yo man, I was the kid and you ruined my life from this stuff. Yeah. 
you know, and it's like a, it's a battle of attrition almost for, for dads that, you know, they're trying and trying like in your case. And, and I mean, hats off to you that, you know, thank God you're still fighting and you're still in the fight. Um, but you know, like I, I know of dads, I can name them that they gave up, like they, they ran out of money or they got bullhorn and just shoehorned out of the way so hard that, you know, it was like, well, you know, it's not, I can't win this fight and they give up and they just take off or they, you know, kind of float around on holidays and that's all they do because that's what they think that that's what the mom and the courts wanted. And it's, it's so, it's like a slap in the face to fatherhood because they're individuals that have like great characteristics. It could be a great dad, but it's just like, nah, nah, like you're worth more in this situation just based on what you pay in child support, not based what you can bring into the picture on time. Yeah, I like to say I'm not dead. I'm not a deadbeat. I'm just dead broke. So you, you guys forced me there. You guys beat me with an ugly stick into submission yeah. to say that, okay, I haven't seen my child in three years. Great. Now what? Because, you know, he needed his father and it wasn't available to him. You guys got your money and that's why everybody got sued. And then I find out that you can't even hold these people accountable because they have judicial immunity to protect themselves, even if they're committing crimes against you. Was it the diplomatic community? Like one of the movies I'm trying to remember is a lethal weapon or something like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hey, it's just like that diplomatic immunity. Exactly. They can walk around and, and commit whatever crimes they want against you and your children and your family. And because they work for the state, quote unquote, as family court actors, they've, they've got immunity. What's your take on the, uh, even the role of um, mediators? Do you feel like they're in on this too? It just depends. Like if you, like I said, if you get that click, that click there to where, you know, the, the GAL won't use you. That's what we found. You know, I've got a video, you know, my, my case never made sense until five years later when I got a video off of YouTube of my mm -hmm. GAL talking about how they're cash for kids, how all the judges are in on it in St. Louis County. And, you know, basically they're running an extortion scheme to prevent all of the children or all of the parents in, in St. Louis County from their wealth. So it made a whole lot more sense once that video leaked. But you know what's even more funny than that? We've had the head judge resign. Not one of those damn people has been fired. Nobody's been to jail. Nobody's been held accountable. They're still ruining people's lives every day. Since my lawsuit was filed, there's been 14 more after it. And most of them contain the same GAL, the same therapist, and the same mediator type people in those things. So mm -hmm. as far as mediation you know, that's the Switzerland model. You have to have like so many parameters to even get into family court. They won't even let you in. They're like, yeah, we ain't going to hear that crap. Go share your kids and have a nice day. So yeah. they start with the mediators. And if you take all that custody chaos out of the way, it seems to work. But once you put these little clicks in place to where they, they're just, they're basically extorting all of the wealth from the families in their area, you've got to have accountability. The way you do that is cameras in the courtrooms, remove the quasi-judicial immunity. You shouldn't be immune if you're committing crimes just because you work for the state. I mean, it yeah. can't be an upper ruling class of elites versus parents. It just can't. Agreed. No, I would, I'm a huge advocate for like all, all conversations outside of the courtroom between legal entities should be recorded as well. Because I know that in my particular case, I found that my judge and my attorney had worked in the same practice at one point. And then I found out that like my ex's attorney was even involved with like part of a partnership at one point with the judge. It was just like, it's, it's a giant crime. I look, yeah. Like you've said it's it, a crime, crime syndicate, syndicate yeah. is exactly what it is. It's just, and it, 
it's the mafia never retired. They just changed their name to the American Bar Association. Oh, making more money now too, which is great. Yeah, and then all those people in the American Bar Association, guess where they go? Congress. Yeah. yeah. Can for the Equal Not Less Project, there's a, a class action lawsuit you guys have filed, right? Or is being filed? So that is not the Equal Not Less Project. That is the Father's Rights Movement. Okay. Um, and yes, we did file a, or, or in the process of filing. I think we're going to file two. And the reason for that is there's a huge disparity in parental rights once you're the father, but there's also a huge disparity in non-married fathers. Okay. 41% of all kids in the United States of America are born to what they call unwed parents or, you know, out of wedlock or whatever you want to say. So, well, that's one, so I don't blame them. We've destroyed the institution of marriage. We've destroyed the birth rates. We've destroyed anything that wants to be, you know, adequated with parents because everybody's like, shit, I'm not going through that as, as, a, as an adult when I went through it as a kid. But 41% of all kids are born uh, out of wedlock or to unwed parents. When the father, okay, so I'm, it makes sense that the father has to go get a paternity petition, right? We know who the mom is. 31% of all paternity cases, the, the, the father named the first time is not the father. So there's paternity fraud. That is three out of 10 cases that she says is the father is not the father. So the paternity petition needs to be in place. But once the paternity petition's in place as an unwed father, why do I have to go file a lawsuit against her in the state to get a parenting plan, to get parental rights? get anything else i can go get a paternity petition they'll put me on the birth certificate and say i'm the dad and then they'll start ramming me with with child support but i still have no rights that's not equal representation under the law that's not the way the color of law is supposed to work and that's against the law actually so we're going to take it from that aspect and then we're going to take it from the the married uh father's aspect wow and so is this like a federal level? I mean, what do you, is it, or are you thinking per state? What's uh, at this time, it's going to be a, uh, a federal class action. Um, but here's the thing. If we file it at a federal level, how many tens of thousands of dads in every state are going to grab this, this, this class action lawsuit. They're going to change the language just like they did. My lawsuit is now 13 or 14 states and they're going to run down. And they're going to sue the crap out of all of their local court directors for not enforcing the law mm-hmm. equally to men as you are women. So there's there's so many ways to come at this. You know, we've got the equal share parenting aspect. We've got the fact that you're just you're, you're blatantly discriminating against men. Eighty three percent of the time that we don't get custody, it's even worse in Texas. You know, the the bar association, the crime mob, they say that uh, they don't want to have a cookie cutter play system in place. Well, Texas is the epitome of a cookie cutter play system. As a matter of fact, if you get divorced in Texas, you get the first, third and fifth Sunday, no matter what happens, because they have more police officers come on duty for those custody exchanges and stuff. And there was even they won't even hold. Dallas Cowboy games on 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 some of those weekends because it you know what I'm saying it falls on on yeah. those custody exchanges so they don't even they they literally change their national football program to work around those things how do you not get more cookie cutter than that but you only have a nine percent chance as a father to have custody in the state of Texas not ninety one percent of all women get custody in the state of Texas. 
<sighs> and nobody sees a problem with this besides the fathers. Hey, I promise and, you. And the, I promise you tomorrow, if dads were getting ninety-one percent of the custody, this would be fixed in a week. Yep. Oh yeah. All day long. All day long. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> in you a know, week. And that's where I applaud like the father's rights movement. And there's a, a few other like dad groups out there that I followed that you got to start somewhere. You got to start speaking up about it somehow. You've got to make the awareness because if you just like let it, you know, acknowledge that it exists, but do nothing about it or say nothing, it doesn't mean it's going to go away. Agreed. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you and, and, and your colleagues that like you're giving it a voice and not only are you giving a voice, but you're giving it action. Like you're putting it in movement. Like you're fulfilling that movement part of it. Like things can change from this and you know, heck yeah. Like dads need more time. Heck yeah. Like I see the statistics and like that, that 83% statistic that's thrown out there about like dads getting screwed out of, they they have, what is it? Less than 25% custody, 83% of the time or something like that. It's like, good yeah. god like we can't fix this easily and the yeah, other was, the I'm other kidding. every weekend thing i think it boils down to like 21 or 25 percent of the time yeah. yeah and the problem is so let's let's go back to texas okay the problem is is that we had it was called uh bill 803 and it was an equal shared parenting law it goes to the committee and the committee member won't let it out of the committee. Her name's Representative Victoria Nieve, okay? Guess what her real-time job is when she's not at the state legislator being a state legislator? Family law attorney. She's a family law attorney. Guess what the other person that voted no on the committee that wouldn't let it out of the committee? Family law family attorney. Law Guess attorney. who the third person was that wouldn't let it out of the committee? Family law attorney. Mm-hmm. How is that not the fox guard in the hen house? Because you know you're going to lose a good chunk of your industry. I'm sorry. I value kids more than your profit. So you guys need to go back to chasing ambulances instead of fleecing parents for their parental time with their kids. Yeah. Amen. Well, and actually they'd probably, <laughs> they would probably make more money if they would actually fight for the dads. But I think they're taking the easy handouts that come from those federal subsidies. And I don't, I mean, I, I could split hairs there, but yeah, <laughs> I'm getting in the wrong direction, but and attacking the wrong people, but it, it no, sucks, man. It sucks. Yeah. We just want equality. Everybody should be, yeah. should have the same. The, it shouldn't matter about your county. It shouldn't matter about the court actors you choose. It should matter that you want to be an active participant in your kids' lives. You're a fit, willing, and able parent, and nobody should be able to take that away from you, and especially in the United States of America. Nobody. Yeah. So – to kind of change gears here and unpack it. Yeah. I want to, I want to hear your, <laughs> your uh, deal on this. Cause you know, you're a lot more connected in this incident than, than what we are. I mean, we kind of talked about it last week on our show from a, from, you know, a thousand miles away, the Chad Reed incident um, and why it's such a huge deal. I mean, obviously there's a lot behind the scenes and you can try to play devil's at devil's advocate for, advocate for both sides. But like at the end of the day, a man's life was taken for a very BS reason and it stemmed out of a child custody like disagreement that mom wasn't following the rules. So we, the Chad Reed case is extremely uh, tragic. It was extremely unnecessary. It was extremely unpreventable. Unpre- uh, we just talked about Representative Nieve. Maybe mm-hmm. if she'd have passed that equal shared parenting bill out of there, Chad Reed wouldn't be dead on somebody's porch because yeah. mom wouldn't have the the entitlement to think that she can keep that kid from dad when it was his custodial time. So, yep. you know, 
for those that don't know, somehow, if you were under a rock somewhere, that, you know, Chad Reed went to pick up his child on his court-appointed ordered time, went to the mom's place of business because the child wasn't at school where dad is ordered to pick the kid up, asked the mom where he's at. Mom says he's not here or he's not at school. I had to go get him. I wanted to spend time with him before I turned him over to you. Dad tells her, well, that's bull crap. You know, he's supposed to be with me at 315. It's after 315. You see him when, when he's not supposed to be with me. Boyfriend, Captain Sabaho, goes back in the house, gets a gun, comes back out, creates an incident. So here's the problem. Everybody's like, oh, that's self-defense. That's why this became such a national national story, because it's in Texas. Everybody owns a gun and, and you know, stand your ground. And the the, you know, protection of your life and all that good stuff. Two A Amendment people, they they're the ones that got involved with this. But most mm-hmm. most responsible two A people have come out and condemned this, like yeah. as the very definition of what not to do in a self defense situation. You're talking so, to two of them right here. Yeah, him and I both are very pro two A, and this is bullcrap. I mean, yeah, as so, a veteran looking at it too, from my perspective, just good lord, man. So if you provoke somebody into a situation, number one, there was a felony being committed. Texas Penal Code 2503 is a felony in Texas for parental interference. Almost Mm -hmm. all states have this law on the books. In in some states like Missouri, it can be a class D felony or it can be a class A misdemeanor. But almost Mm -hmm. all states have what's called parental interference with custody. Can be called some other things in some other states. But anyway, you know. That is when the other parent, the custodial parent or non-custodial parent won't return the child to the other parent that's supposed to have the court order time. There are laws there to protect that parent and that child. Mm -hmm. Apparently that, you know, the, the Lubbock police department wasn't enforcing this dad's parental time. So he goes over there to, uh, to holler at mom and boyfriends ends up killing him. So number one, there's a felony being committed, which is parental interference with custody. No self-defense can be claimed past that. Number two, whether that was accidental discharge or whether he was firing a warning shot, it's still illegal. Mm -hmm. It's against the law. So you committed two crimes before you ever get, you know, once you fire that warning shot or that accidental discharge at Chad Reed's feet, he has the right to protect himself. And that's when he grabs for the gun, tries to take the gun away from him, the dude pulls away from him, shoots him two times. That's second degree felony murder because in the commission yeah. of a felony, somebody got killed. That's not self-defense. It's not staying your ground. And you can't claim those things in court. Nope. Well, I mean, at that point though, the second that he pulled the, the weapon out, the second he pulled it out, clearly he was at a, it was, it was not self-defense. Clearly he felt fine that his life was not threatened. It was for show. It was for Joe because he had even left. He went back into the the business. Yeah. They say it's a business, but it looks like a residence. So he goes yeah, back into it the looks house. like a residence. Yeah, yep. It's one of his businesses. He comes back out with the, with the firearm, tells the dude he's got to leave again. But Chad Reed had legal business conduct on the property. He wants to know yep. where his son is. The person he's talking to is his baby's mom that is right there in front of him. So he had legal business and reason to be there. You killed the guy, you know. Kyle Caruso actually smiling when he comes back out with the gun. You weren't in fear for your life. You knew that Chad, that these guys, so, so I've got text messages and, and Facebook posts from them. These dudes had known each other for five or six years before this incident went down. They've been to dinners together. They've been to political events together. You knew what kind of a dude Chad was. You knew he was going to get a little aggravated that you bring a gun out and threaten to kill him with it. 
And so you provoke that situation into something that wasn't supposed to be. But you can't claim self-defense if you're committing a crime. And there was two clearly committed on video before he ever shoots the poor guy. Yep. You know, so, that was the thing, too, we talked about. I was like, we don't know what the conversations were behind the scenes. But, you know, for him to go draw that gun or to go get the gun, like, I mean, as a bystander from a thousand miles away, I don't know anybody in that situation. But you look at just the video and the the actual recorded interaction that took place it is completely and utterly uncalled for like way beyond the scope of reasonable like self-defense you can't claim it there well 100%. i mean you know the not to not to be uh not to be un un what's the word i'm looking for not to be uncaring or whatever but I live in St. Louis, Missouri. We're the number one place to get killed in the United States of America. I don't ever go to anywhere without a firearm. And that includes to pick up my own children from back when I used to pick them up from their their mother. Because, you know, she would try to do that, too. The, the boyfriend would jump out and act like he's tough. Like, these aren't your kids, bro. Sit down. That's your chick. Nobody's trying to claim her back from you, bro. You 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 can handle that mess. That's all on you. Don't, don't try to bring her back and get a receipt later, though. But, you know. <laughs> It's a very unfortunate, unfortunate thing. I've been in contact with his two stepdaughters almost daily. Um, and yeah, the thing is, is that we see that a lot, though, because there was another case in uh, Nevada, Missouri, from the guy's name is Justin Goolsby. Mom was late picking up the kid or dropping the kid off. Her, her dad shows up, shoots him in the face five times. Homeless guy. Number one, where's a homeless guy get a firearm? Number two, he just happens to be at the plate. This is a homeless guy. So how did he get to the truck stop that they were they were doing the the exchange for? Yeah. Apparently, mom had changed that one uh, custody pickup. Like that wasn't the normal place that they were supposed to pick up. And then mm-hmm. mom sends a text at seven oh one saying, "Hey, I'm stuck in traffic. I'm going to be late." But at the seven oh one time. Her father, her bio father, is there shooting this dad in the face that's, five times and killed him. Clearly, is, that's oh my gosh. Obviously, a setup. I mean, it happened. It happened in uh, I think it was Idaho. The guy's name was uh, John Mast. Took him three years to get out from all the false allegations. Mom was saying he was abusing the kids. He was beating the kids. He was raping the kids. He was doing all this heinous stuff. The courts went through and they proved that dad wasn't doing any of this stuff. Yeah. Instead of immediately taking custody from mom and giving it to dad, they just put it back in place. that dad could go pick his kids up every other weekend and they could resume their custody time. Um, so John shows up to pick his kids up. Mom happens to be late that day, but her dad, her bio father is in her car at the drop off point shoots and kills John Mast. How is that not premeditated murder on the mom's part? Yeah. So that was the guy that, yeah, because he drove all the way from North Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. He drove. He drove. Yeah. A dude, long time I, know exactly, I know exactly the case he's talking about now. Yeah. It was the dad that was, he was working the oil fields in North Dakota, drove to Idaho to pick up the kids and yep. got murdered when he came to pick up the kids. We're seeing that all over the place now, though. There's, there's even more, there's even more yeah. cases that I don't have sitting in front of me, but. I dig through my phone and find you 10 more cases that have happened in the last year. So like legitimately, when you go to pick up your kids, you should have something in place to protect yourself because record, it is possible that you could be killed. I record every single exchange, every single one I record. And it's just to protect. I mean, you never know what the 
the interaction is going to be, and I'm in kind of a high conflict, high conflict situation. So you always want to know like what's being said, but like, the one, the one stipulation that I got in my divorce, I, I got railroaded in my divorce, but I had one stipulation inserted. And that was, I will never meet that woman anywhere that isn't a police station because three weeks from now she'll be claiming I raped her or, or that I assaulted her or, you know, and then how am I supposed to argue against that? if I don't have these recordings and stuff. So we would meet out in front of of the local county police department for the exchange because they have cameras and I don't want to be killed or, or accused of some type of a false crime that gets me in prison just because I'm trying to pick up my children. Yeah. And the fact that it has to go there in some cases is just, I mean, it it screams obviously mental instability and some other things, but like, I don't want to play doctor or anything like that, but like how many guys fall in the situation of, you know, that silver bullet, is always floating out there and it's like your guilt, like you said, guilty until proven either more guilty or guilty until it's just wiped clean and yeah. like just act like it never happened. We're just not going to talk about it anymore. And there's never any repercussions for actions with this type of stuff. Ken, with your, with the federal lawsuit with, with that level, are, is there anything in there about potentially um, countersuits or whatever against mothers that are doing these things? How do we as men protect ourselves that way? You know, so first, let me say I'm not a lawyer. I'm a I'm a self-proclaimed a pro se dad that files my own paperwork and sues the state and does all those type of things. So let's throw that out there. So I can't get legal advice, but I can say that we have a, a team of lawyers, California, Minnesota, one in Florida, one in Texas that are working on this class action. This is strictly going to be um, against the federal government. You know, we're not trying to pit moms, dads, we want the federal government to admit that for the last 40 years, you have targeted fathers for monetary gain and unjust enrichment, and it has to stop. Man. Wouldn't that be amazing if that passes? That, yeah. and that, that's phenomenal, man. I, I think every, every, every father, period, and every mother, I don't care how you feel, should be applauding this. Every single one of them. Your kids will be better off for it. Absolutely. Yep, 100%. But why do we have to sue, though? Why can't we just put laws in place that protect all of us and we all have a nice utopian future where kids have a great future with both of their parents? And why why do we have to take it to the extremes that we have to? So even if, let's say, worst case scenario, that they dismiss this lawsuit and they say, well, we're the federal government. You can't sue us for that, which I don't know all the legal stuff that goes into it. But let's Mm -hmm. just say that's what they do. What about the publicity that that fathers had to file a class action lawsuit just to see their children? That's going to be beneficial in itself. It's crazy to think that in the U.S., this is something we're fighting with, mm-hmm. right? I Especially mean, like, in twenty twenty one, after we go through so much in the last like nineteen months, you know, or well, now I guess like twenty three months of of just craziness and whatever side you want to take in any argument, they're like we're still fighting over stuff like this. Like if we're willing to stand for injustice for other people, why can't we stand for this injustice too? I would venture to say that in 2021, the father's rights movement is the civil rights movement of this era. Just like we had to stand up and say, what you're doing to the black community isn't, isn't okay. It's not acceptable. It's never going to be tolerated from this day forward. Just like we had to say a hundred years ago for women's suffrage and, Mm -hmm. and that they should be allowed to vote. But we swung the pendulum too far. Okay. We swinging the pendulum didn't mean we were supposed to, to eradicate and destroy fathers in the meantime, it was supposed yeah. to go to the middle to where everyone is equal. 
that's what the country, the United States, the world is about. Everybody's supposed yeah. to be equal and fathers are not 83% of the time. Is there, before we end this, is there, you know, um, cause there's been a whole lot of negative. We don't want to yeah. be a downer, you know, like what is, is there a positive? I mean, the like, fact what are some of the victories get- you're seeing? Like, I mean, I like okay, that. so let's let's go. Yeah, let's no, it's okay. I mean, publicity is <laughs> going to be massive, and I, I think just a loss alone is going to make it's going to make waves. We're going to have the ripple effect, and it's going to happen. But give us some good, like, <laughs> like all right, let's do it. Here we go. So three years, four years ago, three four years ago, Kentucky with a group called the National Parents Organization. We work with them well. Uh, got some really great friends over there. They started a bill in Kentucky, and they ran it all the way through to the final. And it was the first equal shared parenting bill in the United States of America. Wow. Awesome. Um, It had some issues with it that that have been ironed out because, you know, what happens is, is you have to put legislation in place. Then you fix it the next go around. Then you fix it at the next state. So from their legislation, we copied their legislation and we added what, what the Kentucky bill was missing was the clear and convincing evidence. Okay they went through with the preponderance evidence. That was the only thing that Kentucky had an issue with. So now we get to Arkansas. Arkansas just passed. They're the second state in the union. A huge majority, they passed that, and it was signed into law by their governor. And it has equal shared parenting after separation or divorce. Must be clear and convincing evidence if you're going to remove that other parent, not just your say-so or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever the judge wants to rule on that day because he had a fight with his wife over some cereal that morning or whatever his problem is. Yeah. So now we have that one out of the way, right? They just instituted or filed a bill in Ohio, same group with us, National Parents Organization filed it. We've been covering it. Um, that bill is like 148 pages. It is the gangster of all gangsters for shared parenting <laughs> in the United States of America. Like you can go to jail for withholding kids, 50, 50 equal shared parenting. Like it is the gold standard of gold standards. And it's awesome. And that's that pretty well supported, isn't it? That bill had 61 of their 99 representatives that, that put their signature on that bill. Wow. That's awesome. That's phenomenal. So it's gaining. Missouri has an extremely good shot of doing the same thing. Um, We're working with Indiana. Um, Just sent out something, you know, as a, as a non-for-profit, we're not allowed to lobby for, you know, Democrat, Republican, things of that nature, but we can have input as one of the largest organizations in the world on what these bills should look like. So we put in some input on what the Indiana bill should look like. Oklahoma has a really, really good shot. So there's a lot of great dudes out there. I could name off the representatives from, from each state. So uh, the one that passed the bill in, uh, in Arkansas, his name is Jimmy Gasaway. Now, here's the crazy thing about Jimmy Gasaway, right? Jimmy Gasaway is a family law attorney, but yet he still killed the industry in his state with their Arkansas shared parenting bill. Wow. <laughs> that is a man of integrity. Go scorched earth. That's awesome. That's incredible. (laughs) So Ohio representative Creech is a, is a Republican and representative West is a Democrat. They're the two sponsors of the bill. They have 59 co-sponsors, which gives them 61 of their 90 something representatives, Missouri. We've got a Marine here. He's a Senator. His name's Bratton, uh, Rick Bratton. He's a great dude. 
Um, and then we have uh, a guy on the House of Reps side. So we filed two simultaneous bills to push them through faster. His name's Wayne Wallingford. Great older gentleman. He comes from the military as well. Uh, Oklahoma, the bill being pushed there. Uh, Mark Lawson is an awesome, 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 phenomenal representative. So uh, West Virginia, West Virginia has got a good shot to get pushed through this year. Um, let me think of some other states. New Hampshire, New Hampshire's on the board. I forgot about them. They're all the way up in the in the the far corner. Um, Isn't that South Alabama? Dakota, South Dakota is on the board with with a with an active bill. Um, so even though we know these problems are in place, there are some good men and women that are stepping up to change the legislation and the laws, and we can't applaud them enough. And and that's what fathers need to hear out there. Ah. And and the mothers supporting these fathers. That's that's so brilliant, man. That's amazing. Yeah. Hey, Ken, I just want to thank you for, for being on with us and, and taking your time out of your evening. I know that we're two hour time difference out here <laughs> out west. So like, you know, we got the snow flying outside, but uh I, I do want to thank you for, for the time and, and your work, man, and what you do in supporting dads um and, and being a dad yourself and what you do for your kids. Um you know, hats off to you and your efforts and your team around you. Like, yeah, you guys are, you guys are making a difference. And I mean, we are proud to associate with you guys, but I, I have to ask you personally, how is the, uh, the weather out in Missouri right now? Uh, right now we are like, like what is going on? I think it's like 70 degrees outside. <laughs> so I, I, of course I did basic in, in Fort lost in the woods. Um, so that's why I have to ask because I've spent a little time in uh, the St. Louis there and man, it was it's, it's more bipolar than we have up here. <laughs> right. It's supposed to be like 70 degrees tomorrow. And then it's supposed to be like 30 the following day. Like if you want to, if you want to see some messed up weather, come to Missouri. It's crazy here. But, uh, you know, they say we're, we're six people away from knowing everybody in the world. And I think that every time organizations like you guys with the Davocate podcast and the father's rights movement and equal, not less, you know, we, we keep putting more and more chairs together and eventually, Eventually, you're not going to be able to ignore all of these chairs because we all have the same voice. We want equality for our kids. Our kids deserve better, and you're going to give it to us one way or another. Yeah, man, I totally agree. I completely agree, man. Well said. I mean, thank you. Um, gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, what more can we say? I'm brilliant. We're so yeah, happy. About I'm this. so glad you came on, and I'm I'm glad I slid into your DMs at like <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Say like, man, hey, we do a we do a podcast out west. Like any chance you want to be on with us. And you're, you know, and so you're actually kicking off like this is our first episode of like season our two, anniversary. Yeah. yeah, season two. Like we're in our second year or entering our second year um of doing this podcast. And man, thank you. And this one's gonna be tough to top. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, keep doing what you guys are doing. It's phenomenal. And, uh, you know, dads need a voice out there. Dads, and not just dads, men too, you know. So I appreciate that aspect of it. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll get people to start tuning into you guys now that uh, we've made the connection and, and done some things, uh, you know. We run we run daily shows, so maybe we'll get you guys to do some, some broadcasts for us and stuff. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. We'll do a home and home with you. Absolutely. I mean, thank you. Uh, thank you again. Yeah, thanks so much for being with us, and uh, we really appreciate it. All right. Well, uh, definitely my pleasure, my honor. Uh, I like to ramble a lot, and you guys gave me a platform to do it, so that's why <laughs> I'm the media manager for the Father's Rights Movement. Cool. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Well, we'll keep in touch with you, and, and uh, best of luck with things moving forward. Hey, we, right. 
though uh, if you want if you want to we can still keep talking or we can end it i'm just going to cut this uh the video so okay yeah in production so dude yeah, yeah appreciate it. no hit, if, if i hit in cast it's going to kill him too will it yeah okay it's not good <laughs> so right. that's why i'd rather cut it Chen, dude uh really appreciate it man um all right appreciate you, know, you run us on and, and we'll just we'll take care of them there yeah. All right. Well, make sure you uh, you give me a copy of the of the broadcast, and we'll throw it out there for people to tune into you. And then, you know, once you go Apple or wherever you're going, and, and those type of things, make sure you let me know. And and because we want to give, we want to keep giving dads and men a voice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, that's kind of what TFRM is becoming. Is we're becoming the central hub for for everything. That's why I started that yeah. nightly news broadcast of things that are going on with the dads and, and, and father stuff across the nation. And, yeah. you know, that seems to be taking off pretty good. And then we've got some other things coming after the beginning of the year. So we'll get you guys involved in it too. Cool. Oh, I appreciate you having us along for the ride today. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Thank you. All right, buddy. We're going to let you go. <laughs> yeah it's like all right talk to you guys yeah have right. a good night man i'll give you your evening back yeah exactly <laughs> thanks hey, man, you take see care, you okay all right, all right, all right take care kid bye-bye